What's up, collective? If you don't know me, my name's Doug Weiss, or Douglas if you prefer. My wife, Sierra, is sitting in the back there looking fine. We got three kids. Owen's four. June and Walker are about ready to turn one. And we really love Tuesday nights. Uh, this has really turned into a nice little date night for me and my wife, where we can come and get filled up. And uh, we wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't for child care. God bless them, taking care of our little kiddos while we come in here. I've got a disclaimer for you tonight before we get into the message. Um, it's a pretty heavy one. I'm probably going to take the wind out of your sails at some point tonight. But if you hang in there with me, I do think you'll have something that you can take away and hopefully leave here with some hope in your heart. Uh, I'm also going to switch things up a little bit. I'm going to give you some insight as to what your response can look like tonight. Usually we kind of save that for the end, but I want you to be thinking about it as I move through the message. I don't really have a list of things for you to apply to your life. I don't have any actions to call you to necessarily. Tonight's response looks like a shift in your perspective, and I'm hoping that shift in perspective can then lead to a shift in the way you live your life. So, the title of this sermon series is called The Search for Meaning. I just titled this, The Search Begins. Speaking of the search, have any of you guys ever lost something before? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. This is pretty standard in the Weiss household. Sierra will come to me and say, hey, have you seen my phone? Or Owen will come to me and say, Daddy, where are my Nerf bullets at? To which I'll respond, well, where'd you leave them? Where'd you have them last? Or in Owen's case, where'd you shoot them last? And, or I'll begin to say, well, I checked on the counter, I checked in the car, I looked in the couch cushions, so I know it's not in any of those places. But what if they went and they looked there anyway? Isn't that how Einstein defines insanity? And I'm not saying you're insane, baby, I love you. But this is what we do generation after generation. We ask the question, where can I find meaning? And we all end up looking in the same old couch cushions that everyone else has already looked in. And there's a guy who's asked this question and he's pursued the answer to it. His name is King Solomon. King Solomon has a unique thing happen to him. God comes to him and says, Solomon, what do you want? King Solomon responds, I'd like wisdom to rule your people. And I'd like to go ahead and just say, good job, Solomon, for giving the perfect Sunday school answer. Because if God came over to my house tonight and asked me what I wanted, I'd have a pretty hard time not saying a 200-acre deer farm, maybe some muddy blinds on it, a brand new bow, and God, if it's not asking too much, maybe like a two or three acre lake where me and my kids can go fishing. No, Solomon asks for wisdom to rule God's people. And God was so pleased with his answer that he decides to open up the floodgates for earthly blessings in Solomon's life. So let's get into some details on Solomon. Solomon's a king. 
so he has more power than the president. He has 700 wives, so he's a pretty busy guy. He's got 300 concubines. And if you're not really familiar with concubines, I'm not going to get into the weeds on it. But it's basically like having a wife, but at the end of the day, you don't have to remember your anniversary, and you don't have to buy her anything. He's got $2.2 trillion in net worth. Now, when I think trillion, I automatically think made up. It feels fake to me. And it reminds me of when I'll tell Owen, I love you, Owen. And he'll say, I love you more. And then I say, I love you most. And then Owen always comes up with this big, long number that starts with trillion, and I don't know how to say the rest of it, but he just goes on and on about how long of a number it is, and that's how he says he loves me. But that's what this feels like, $2.2 trillion in net worth. And just to put it in perspective for you, if you took Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Bill Gates, and you put all their money together, they still don't add up to King Solomon's riches. And, just so you know, I'm not lying about King Solomon here. His pools, they're going to pull up a picture of his pools. There's his pools that he used to water his gardens and his vineyards that you can still see thousands of years later. I get by with a garden hose. He's got pools built just for his gardens and his vineyards. But here's a guy who has every worldly thing that you can imagine. And he still doesn't know where to find meaning. And that's what he's doing here in Ecclesiastes. He's trying to find the meaning of life. And clearly he has the means to do so. Have you ever seen this before? The guy who seemingly has everything, but he's still a jerk. He has a big house and a fancy car, but he's got no joy. I want to read you guys a parable that my buddy Shelby sent me a couple weeks ago. It comes out of Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores things up for themselves, but is not rich towards God. It just reminds me of what we see all the time in our culture. Work really hard so you can get a really good job. Work long hours. You might never see your kids. 
But then you get to retire early. Like for what? Solomon speaks to this kind of human cycle that we all get caught in. Let's see what he has to say in Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 8. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Quite a way to start off a chapter. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. This talks about the cycles of earth that never end, the sun rising, the sun setting. But we have our own cycles. And if you have a notepad, I want you to write this down. Relentless repetition is easy to get caught up in. And this is what it looks like. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, high school, college. Spring, summer, fall, winter. Spring, summer, fall, winter. Days, weeks, months, years. You wake up, you go to work, you go home, you go to bed. You wake up, you go home, you go to work, you go home, you go to bed, and then you die. So glad you guys are here tonight. I hope you're feeling encouraged so far. This is the cycle we all get stuck in. Why can't I find joy? Why can't I find meaning? It's because we're looking in the same old couch cushions that everyone else has already looked in. Don't get stuck in this rut. Don't look for meaning in a job that was never meant to fulfill you. Or in a relationship that's job isn't to bring you joy. Or in pleasure, or in projects. A wise person learns from their mistakes, and a wiser person learns from the mistakes of others. We get to learn from the wisest person to ever live, aside from Jesus. And I'll say it again, this relentless repetition is easy to get caught up in. Let's keep going in Ecclesiastes here. 1, 9 through 11. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which you can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. We're always looking for new answers, new things. But it says here, there's nothing new under the sun. 
and I'd like to replace under the sun with apart from God. So there is nothing new apart from God. And this does seem to be true. Um, The example I thought of was social media. Is TikTok really new? Or is it kind of like Snapchat meets Instagram? And I don't know because I don't know much about TikTok. But that's what it seems like to me. Or Instagram reels. They're kind of like TikToks, aren't they? Or stories. I don't know who the first one to have stories were. But now every social media platform has them. In MySpace. No, I'm just messing with MySpace. (laughs) But you get what my point is. It's like everyone recycles what has already been done and then adds their own little tweak to it. So is anything really new apart from God? The text says no one remembers the former generations. So let me tell you something that you probably don't want to hear. Or maybe at least some of you don't want to hear. Your Instagram's not going to be remembered. Your Snapchat streak's not going to go down in history. Do we have any athletes in the room tonight? I see some washed up ones right back there. No. Uh, Can anyone tell me, for a gift card, who won the Super Bowl in 1982? And if nobody knows off the top of the head, they can use their phone. First one to come up. Yes, sir. Come on. Okay, the biggest football game of the year at the highest level, that was only 40 years ago. What about 1992? Can anyone tell me who won the Super Bowl in 1992? I haven't heard it yet. No? Yeah, yep. Whoever said, well, is it Redskins? Or is it Comrades? No, I'm just... Whoever said Redskins, come on up. Football team... That was only 30 years ago, and there's only one person that knows the answer. What about 2002? This is a little bit closer to home. Patriots, all right, come on. That was quick. He must be a fan. That was only 20 years ago, and there's still only one guy who knows. My point is, just like the text says, no one remembers the former generations. So for you non-sports people, raise your hand if you know the names of your grandparents. I hope most of us can raise our hands there. All right. Who knows the names of their grandparents' grandparents? Yeah, come on. I'm not just going to take your word for it. I mean, I should. We're in a safe place here. but Okay. Okay, good enough, good enough. (laughs) Linda. No, you're good, man. All right. So the text says no one remembers the former generations. One guy knows his grandparents' grandparents' name. So what about your great, great, great grandkids? Are they going to know your name? If we're being honest, probably not. 
and I'm not trying to be a downer here, but these are the things that we need to hear in order to shift our perspective from earthly to heavenly. We've got to live for something beyond ourselves. And if you're not willing to take a trillionaire king with a bunch of wives, word for it, then maybe you'll take my word for it. I'll have to give you a little bit of context uh, about how I grew up for this to make sense, but my heroes growing up were my dad and my grandpa. My dad's a carpenter, still is. My grandpa was a carpenter. So work ethic was a huge part of my upbringing. Both guys were hardworking providers for their family. They worked hard, but they loved their family even harder. So I knew what I wanted to be from a very young age. You thought I was going to say carpenter. I knew I wanted to be a good dad and a good husband. I really didn't have too many aspirations as far as jobs go, but I knew that that is what I wanted to be. So for five years, I provided for my family. Sierra stayed home with the kiddos. I also wanted her to be able to follow her dreams. And I did the very best I could to make sure that could happen. Her dream turned into Carter's Coffee Bar. And I guess Sierra, like Solomon, prayed for wisdom to rule God's people because he decided to bless it. The business was growing. We had two little twins at home peeing, pooping, and spitting up on everything. So we decided, after a lot of prayer, that I would quit my job, and that was September of last year. Now, on paper, seems like the best thing ever. Minimal duty at the coffee shop, tons of time with my kids. After all, that's all I wanted to be. And if I'm being totally transparent with you guys, which isn't easy for me to do, after two months into our new way of life, I was left crying on my wife's shoulder in our bedroom in a deep depression that I didn't know how to get out of. If you would have asked my 19, 20, 21-year-old self what I wanted my life to look like, I would have said a house in the country, to be financially free enough not to have to work, three kiddos, a couple cows, maybe a couple dogs. That night I had all those things and more. So why wasn't I satisfied? Why weren't these things fulfilling me? It's because apart from God, they're meaningless. Don't forget, apart from God, they're meaningless. I put too much of my meaning and my purpose into being a hardworking provider for my family. And that's not a bad thing. But without realizing it, I was doing it to find meaning and not for the glory of God. So I don't know what that looks like for you guys. I don't know if you're trying to find your meaning in a relationship or a job 
or pleasure or projects or whatever it is for you. But what's going to happen when that thing gets taken away? That's where I was that night. But it was a similar sermon to this that shifted my perspective. It opened my eyes to the true meaning in my life. And if you hear anything tonight, hear this. You will not find meaning apart from God. You just won't. And as we dive further into Ecclesiastes, you'll see that Solomon looked for meaning in everything. But he was missing the most important part. And that was doing those things to the glory of God. See, when you partner with God, your job can have meaning. And when you partner with God, your relationships have meaning. When you do your projects to the glory of God... They're not meaningless anymore. Hear me, collective. We've got to quit looking for meaning in the same old couch cushions. That experiment's been done. Let's learn from Solomon's mistakes. We have to quit chasing the wind, and we have to start chasing Jesus. And the crazy thing is, the world will cheer you on as you look for meaning in the wrong places. Jesus can turn the meaningless things into meaningful things. That's what gives me hope. That's where I find my meaning. And that's why I'm chasing after Jesus. What are you chasing? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for Tuesday nights. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray that you would come into this room and that you would fill our hearts. That you would change what needs changed. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.